0: And uh, we believe here at the vineyard church that you were intended to thrive and what that means is uh, jesus said i have come that you might have life and life to the fullest and so we believe that that happens through four different areas one is worshiping god and so that's our sunday morning services and your own devotional lives the second part is be in community those are our Our growth groups and our vineyard communities if you haven't jumped into a vineyard community yet I want to encourage you to jump in. It's where you can be known and be known and um, and The third area is called get equipped This is where we are getting equipped to do what God's calling us to do and be what God's calling us to be So we do that through our our equipped classes and other classes around here And the last part is do this stuff We want everybody to be on a ministry team where they're doing ministry where they're getting involved in ministry, okay? So today I just want to highlight highlight this because really if somebody says, John, what's the pathway here? What are what are we all about really if if, if you are moving forward in these areas, man, it's something happens in in our lives and hearts, okay? So we just want to highlight that every once in a while. And then today we're starting a brand new series called Unstuck. And we're talking about, for the next three, four weeks, we're going to talk about how to rise above the worst day or days of our life. How do you rise above when you, f- and just so you know, when, when you hit a, a roadblock in life, I see so many people get paralyzed. And they just, they just stay still. And all of a sudden, what do we do if we can rise above that worst situation and see what God's doing beyond the current situation So how do we rise above that worst day? And today I want to talk about two things one this idea of weeping And this, and then the second part is don't get better. And so that's where we're going today uh, Sandy called the police station and she's she, she actually she called the police station. She said This is the worst day of my life and she was panicked and she a policeman's on the phone at the office. She says, I woke up and I have this horrible headache, this migraine, and I had this intense fight with my teenage daughter, and then my car died. And in, on top of it all, I left my door open to the front, front door as I was getting something, and a skunk is in my house. <laughs> and so the police officer said, ma'am, be calm. It's OK. Um, Become and he's like, "What do I do?" And so somebody said, "Put a trail of brun- cr- bread crumbs from where the skunk was to outside." And so she said, "The police officer, ma'am, the day is going to get better. I guarantee it." I was told all you have to do is take a piece of bread and, th- from where the skunk is in your room, like lay every once in a while, every couple of feet, put a small piece of bread so that it leaves your home. And so he's like, you're going to make it. You're going to be fine. If you have any more problems, just give us a call back. We'll help in any way we can. Well, two hours later, Sandy called back. She had done exactly as she told. And now she had two skunks in her home. <laughs> what do you do on the worst day of your life? What do you do? What do you, how do you proceed forward? Uh, the year was 1012 B.C., so a 1,000 years before Christ, about 3,000 years ago, David was a young guy who's 29 years old, and he experienced the worst day of his life, the worst day of his life. Um, early Years earlier, the prophet Samuel anointed David as the future king of Israel, but David and David is thrust into sudden fame after he kills this guy named Goliath, okay? Then he's a member, all of a sudden he's, he's famous in, in, the, in the city, um, in the nation. He becomes a member of the royal household of King Saul, and he becomes commander of Israel's armies. David became this national hero in the nation of Israel, but King Saul became jealous of David and was, didn't like David's success and decided to kill him. So he leaves the royal household and he roams along the hillside of Judea with 600 men. And during this time, David made his home in Ziglag in southern Judea. Okay, So for David... Ziklag was an uneventful, ordinary city. It was almost boring. And then it happened one day. David and his men are away. They come back, and as they return home, they see billows of smoke coming from their town. Billows of smoke. And as they entered the gates of Ziklag, they were horrified. For Samuel 30 verse 1 says this, When David and his, and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground, and they had carried off the women and children and everyone else. This was the worst day of David's life. His possessions were stolen, his house is burned down, and his family is kidnapped. David's response in what we're going to read over the next couple of weeks is going to give us a pattern to reclaim territory in our lives. When something's been taken away or stolen, like how do we manage, what do we look at, how do we proceed forward? And so we're going to see this principle or pattern for not getting stuck in our tragedy and seeing God carry you into something new and restore Your life. So here is verse 3, 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. Then David and and his men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families. They wept until they could weep no more. As David stood among the smoldering ruins of what had been his home, he wept. He as he faced financial ruin, he wept as he faced his family being kidnapped he wept the only outlet for David in this moment in the middle of this tragedy for his fear for his anger for his pain was weeping Uh, David wasn't alone in his weeping he had 600 men that wept openly and uncontrollably Uh, here that says that they wept until they could weep no more. If you've ever been there before, and I've been there, it's, it's a broken soul. When you weep till you can weep no more, it's a bro- there's brokenness. So what do you do when trouble hits so hard that it knocks the wind out of you? The first thing you can always do, go ahead and weep. Allow yourself to grieve. Uh, Did you know that the greatest giants of faith in the Bible wept? And you see this all the way through the scriptures. Abraham wept in Genesis 23. Jacob wept in Genesis 29. Joseph wept in Genesis 45. Hezekiah wept in 2 Kings 20. Nehemiah wept in Nehemiah 1, 1. Job wept in Job 16. Jeremiah wept in Jeremiah 9. Peter wept in Matthew 26, Paul wept in Acts 20, John wept in Revelation 5, and the list goes on. Even Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five. 35. The shortest verse in the entire, entire Bible, Jesus wept. Did you know, um, I, I love the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 3 says, He, referring to Jesus, the future um, Messiah, he was going to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Jesus cried. And when Jesus cried, Jesus shed the tears of God. Jesus shed the tears of God. And God, one of the things that I love about our God is that God is willing to step into our situations and grieve like we grieve. God is willing to do that. He joins us in our tears. Nothing that's common to humans was kept from God in Christ. Not birth, nor death, not trial, nor temptation, not sorrow, not suffering, and not tears. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of the heroes in my life, and he said this, only the suffering God can help. Our God is the suffering God. He's been there. He, he cried. He's been with us. Only the suffering God can help. The tears of God are not just tears of sympathy. They are holy tears that lead to our freedom and dominion over Uh, Over sorrow Jesus joined us in sorrow that he might lead us to joy that comes in the morning Uh, In the course of my life in ministry. Um, i've had many nights of weeping um, i've had many nights of weeping, um when Me or the family around me has faced death There's been deep sorrow and tears for a night um more recently, um some of some of your spouses, we have had two spouses pass away recently, and um, you know, yesterday we had a memorial for Don, for Nancy's husband, and um, and we had a, a memorial for Ross and a funeral for Ross and Diane, and um, and so Diane and Nancy, I want you to know, like, there's been moments where. Our church as a whole, but also me. Like I'm in I'm in my office praying for you, and I have tears because, as a church, we're mourning. We're mourning for those who have passed away. I've had um, many nights of weeping. Um, three years ago, I was pastoring a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and our city flooded, and I had 19 families from our church that flooded. And I cried. I wept. Not only for the 19 families, but for, like, our community as a whole. And that's crazy. It was difficult. I've cried over betrayal from people in the church. You know, the, the most difficult pain is church pain. Because you're like, but God, it's not supposed to be like this. It shouldn't look like this. So betrayal by church people has been one of the most painful things I've I've experienced. Uh, We can say with the Apostle Paul that we have served the Lord with many tears. That's Acts 20, 19. The Bible says that there is a time to weep. There's a time to weep, Ecclesiastes 3, 4. But there's also a time to dry your tears and to stop weeping. Psalm thirty. Verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If you continue to hold your grief and sorrow, it will turn to self-pity. Which can destroy your life. It will prevent you from coming out of your pain into a place of healing. Um, This next story, I I tried to find the reference for it. I think it's just a made-up story, but I want to share it with you because it's good. Um, So there's a, a, a neighbor was asked to watch little robbie he was about five years old and uh but he was having a hard time separating from mom Uh, mom had to go had an appointment at the doctor's didn't want to bring him with so this neighbor's watching little robbie and robbie's just having a bad day and uh, finally the neighbor said little robbie do you want something to eat and robbie's like finally robbie says yes And just the night before, Dad had read Robbie the story about how to eat uh, fried worms. So Robbie said, yes, I want fried worms. And so the lady went into the garden. She picked up a couple rocks. She found some worms. She brought them in. She said, Robbie, here you go. And he said, "Now I want you to fry them up for me. So she fried them up. He's still whining and crying. And... She said, well, what do you want? Like, he said, I only want one worm. I don't want a whole plate of worms. I just want one. He's still whining and crying. And and finally, so she takes one worm, puts it on a plate, sets it in front of him. I don't want just one worm. I only want half of a worm. So she cuts it in half. He's still crying, whining. And then he said, I don't want just half. I want you to eat the other half. And so she reluctantly, just out of wanting him to just be quiet, she ate half of this worm. And she thinks it's disgusting. She eats it. And then he just throws himself on the floor, and he's just throwing the biggest tantrum of the whole, and she said, what's wrong? I dug up the worms. I fried them for you. I selected one for you. I cut it in half. I even ate the other half. What's wrong, kid? And Robbie said, "You ate my half," (laughs) because that's called self pity. Okay, self. Do you know that self pity is deadly? It really is. It is a capacity to destroy your life and your faith, and lock you in a self imposed prison. That's it's difficult to escape that, guys. It's difficult. The bottom line is you will never change your life by feeling sorry for yourself. You won't. It doesn't happen. And I've seen people allow, who allow their grief to conquer them, to just conquer them. It's sad and tragic. Their faith dies as they become absorbed in their own sorrow. And it, be actu- they, it, it's their new identity all of a sudden. They take it on as their new identity. Instead of passing through the valley of the shadow of death, they make the decision to take up residence there. And I love the 23rd Psalm. It's the most beautiful psalm in the world. It's a picture of God going before us, leading us. And then when we get to the valley of the shadow of death, you know what happens? God goes from leading to right beside us. And I've seen Christians in the middle of their sorrow what they do is, they, as they're going through the valley of the shadow of death with God, God's right there. They say, I, God, I want to camp out here. I want to stay here. You're, you, you can go ahead, and I'm just going to camp out. I'm going to live here for a season. And they kind of push God out of their life. Don't take up residence in the shadow. Or the valley of the valley of the shadow of death. Like, keep going. It is a season that you will get through, and it's difficult, and it's painful, but God is beside us. Don't allow grief to conquer you. As the last smoldering embers of what had been happening in Ziglag began to die out, 600 men of David's army began to dry their eyes. And they start to realize they've lost everything. And they start to realize, huh, David's our leader. I bet you it's his fault. He's to blame. Finally, one of David's men probably said what a lot of them were thinking. And they said, let's stone David. So here's Samuel 30, verse 6. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. What happened? They allowed bitterness to infect their soul, and they found someone to blame David. They allowed bitterness to infect their soul, and they just started the blame game. When trouble hits, it's always bitterness and then the blame game. Bitterness, blame game. Bitterness doesn't belong on the road to recovery, people. It doesn't. When the worst day of life hits, you cannot afford to get bitter. Bitterness will cause untold devastation and trouble in your life. It really will. It's everything from your health. You look at social scientists that have studied this stuff. Everything from your health and your mind, your emotions, your relationships, your finances, all take a downward spiral as soon as you give in to that bitterness. The seed of offense that grows into a root of bitterness has ruined whole families, companies, churches. And so the seed that you're holding in your hand, that's what that symbolizes. That potential seed of bitterness. And the question is, what are you going to do with that seed? What are you going to do with it? We always have choices, right? But so many of us, we have a choice what we do because hard, difficult things come in life. It's just the way life is. I wish life was just always roses and unicorns and rainbows. I wish it was. But life is difficult. And then what are you going to do when that little seed of offense comes your way? Dale Carnegie was visiting Yellowstone. I've never been to Yellowstone. It's one of the national parks I've always wanted to go to. But he was there visiting, and he saw this huge grizzly bear in this open field. And as the bear is walking into this field, there was the camper had left some food there, and the grizzly bear was eating the leftover food. And so Dale Carnegie's watching the scene, and the bear gets there, and there's some other animals that were kind of like, A fox is coming in, but the, but this grizzly bear goes and they all kind of scatter. So Dale's watching this, admiring this huge, massive grizzly bear, and he notices from one side, this little itty bitty skunk comes walking up and takes residence right next to the grizzly bear, like right next door. Now, how come the grizzly bear didn't do anything? Yes, exactly. The grizzly knew the high cost of, hit, of, of claiming his territory once again, the high cost of getting even, and so it did nothing. It was completely content with this skunk right next to maybe one of the most ferocious animals in all the wild, right? That's a bitterness does bitterness begins as a seed of offense and when you're offended that negative seed is sown into our heart and if you choose to walk in forgiveness you stay connected to grace and that and that seed shrivels up by the flow of god's grace in our life and if you fail to forgive you're cut off from the grace of god you're cut off from the grace of God. The seed of offense becomes a root of bitterness. And that's the potential of these little things. It's so tiny, but once it takes root, me tell you, it's, it does all kinds of damage in our life. As I look back now at about 20 years of ministry, bitterness has destroyed more Christian Christians' lives than a, almost anything else. Countless numbers of people who began their journey to follow Jesus, they let something super tiny, this little seed of bitterness, get in their way, and it planted and took root and grew. And now I know some of those people that are not following Jesus anymore. And it breaks my heart. But it started with an offense. It started with this bitterness that they let take root. And it, it just destroyed them. It destroyed the relationships around them. It destroyed their connection with their relatives and friends and everybody else. It literally just, it's this acidic thing that gets poison in everything else around it. It's inevitable that offenses will come our way, guys. And we need to make up our mind before that we're ever offended as a christian we always have we have to have one choice that we live into and embody and that's called forgiveness we must forgive the apostle paul gave us really clear instructions how to respond to an offense he says this here's colossians 3:12 put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Forgiveness keeps you in the flow of God's grace. And God's grace will prevent that seed of offense from taking root in your heart. But if you refuse to forgive, and I want you to know forgiveness is always a choice. You have to Ponder that. Forgiveness is always a choice that we make, okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice that you and I make. But if you refuse to forgive, you cut yourself off from the flow of God's grace in your life. And I never want to be cut off from God's grace. God's grace is the most amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing that you could ever experience in your life. You guys, Jesus was also very clear about this point. Warning us that if we refuse to forgive the wrongs of others, God will not forgive our wrongs. That's really scary, actually. Uh, that's Matthew six fifteen. That's like one of those wake-up sobering moments as a Christian, right? Forgiveness is not a rejection of justice. And I, let me just mention this because a lot of times we're like, if I forgive, what about justice? What will happen to justice here? Doesn't, doesn't God care about justice too? Uh, instead, forgiveness involves deferring justice to God. We choose to forgive those who have wronged us, and how God chooses to deal with those who have wronged us is not our concern. Leaving the business of justice in the hands of God, we are a fr- uh, we're free to attend to our business, and what is our business? It's to forgive forgive, 70 times 7. Forgive, and forgive, and forgive. Forgiveness can save your life, and it can keep you on the road with Jesus. My heart's grieved every time I think about Christians who are living isolated, bitter lives, refusing to forgive, who hold on to that seed of offense and let it get rooted in their heart. They are no longer in church. They no longer have real joy. They're estranged from family members. And the list goes on. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Never let that seed of offense take root. Don't let the seed of offense take root in you. Weep, grieve, but don't get bitter. Weep and grieve absolutely, but don't get bitter. Guard your hearts, people. Uh, let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, on the worst day of your life, it's okay to weep. On the worst day of your life, it's okay to weep. This is inevitable and understandable. David did. You will too. It's alright to, rel- to release the poison of pent-up emotional pain through weeping. And I just want to say, the church is the best place on earth to weep. It really is. Like, we care, and we want to support you. We care about where you're at, and it's okay. The church... We're an authentic, real group of people trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. And guess what? When you're emotional and you have a lot of tears, that's it's okay. Our church is okay with that, the staff's okay with that, the governing board's okay with that, we're all okay with that. Okay? So we care and we want to support you in the middle of those tears. Number two. Although weeping may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. Moving forward into the new day requires choosing joy. And so Kate talked about this last week, didn't she? Continue to work on gratitude. And if you haven't written the 50 things that you're grateful for from last week, uh, this will help you move forward in joy in the middle of your pain. So, so often we forget about gratitude in the middle of our difficult circumstances. And so I want to encourage you, gratitude is like the opposite spirit of this idea of like, everything's going wrong and I can't make it. So, so in the middle of your weeping and sorrows, like take some time and actually process what would it look like if I'm grateful in this situation. And number three, when you encounter the worst day of your life, This enough, guys. Like, I wish if, if everybody could just hear me. Guard against bitterness, it will destroy you. Guard against every bit. And like these seeds of offense, they come our way. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? The seed of offense always comes flying at us and we're holding on to it. Do we allow it to take root or not? Don't let it take root in your life. Have the worst day of your life. Guard against bitterness. Choose to forgive. Joy- Forgiveness is always a choice. Thank Applications Um, and we are made a it was a very clear choice. We officially are bringing Ken B on as our new youth pastor. And so I'm excited for this new. Yeah, keep playing. It sounds good, right? I'm really excited for Ken and for our youth, and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for Nathan. He's been an amazing youth pastor for the last three years. Yeah, give him a hand. And so the transition is obviously going to happen in, in December, but we wanted to really glue everybody in on what's going on, so as Ken's jumping into some new, Initiatives with youth, we uh, I want you guys to know and be praying for him. And, and I'm just gonna have Nathan pray for Ken now. So, um, as we're working through this transition, Nathan, if you have,
1: Lord, I lift up Ken and I lift up the youth group. look forward in excitement. We look forward to what you're doing. We look forward to the hope of tomorrow. Lord, we know there's no accidents in the kingdom of heaven, and we know that this is for your purpose. Lord, I lift up Ken and his leadership in the incredible blessing he's going to be on this church and this youth group. I thank you for all you're doing. I thank you for the good time. God I, I pray that just as a congregation you show us how to back him and back him well and back him thoroughly that, that this church is just so involved in the youth ministry that it makes other churches turn their heads I wonder what we're doing differently. God thank you so much for Kim I pray this on Gonna miss you guys.
0: So if you guys can do this, let's pray for our youth program for junior high, senior high. Let's pray. For this song. We'll sing this together. For those of you that are saying, you know what, that's, yeah, I I have an issue. I have unforgiveness. That I'm willing, by God's